Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend this time with us, whether you are viewing us on YouTube or listening on uh, iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. We thank you for taking the time to share with us. Uh, We always invite you to give us your feedback. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith.com. Jeff Smith at Cox.net, and you can let us know how we're doing or what we can do to make this podcast better. I'm very happy today to welcome Ms. Karen Chawla uh, to uh, the Thrive Podcast desk and to have a discussion with her about uh, media and other things. Thank you for taking the time to share with us today. Thank you for having me. So tell me, who is Karen Chawla? Oh, God, that might be the toughest question. Um, Kieran Chawla is a young minority woman who has now decided to venture out on her own and launch my own media company because uh, my heart is absolutely set on journalism, investigative journalism, human interest journalism. I, hobby-wise, I love to be outside. I love cooking. Um... What else? How, how'd you get to Baton Rouge from, you were born in Jackson, Mississippi. I was. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Yes. My dad got a better job in Slidell, Louisiana. Okay. I think I was about 10 years old, and we thought it was going to be a temporary move for a little while and let dad kind of figure out Louisiana, mm-hmm. and we stayed. This has become uh, home now. Did you go to LSU? Did you? I went go, to Loyola University. You went to Loyola. Yeah. Okay, in New Orleans. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, so according to the bio that uh, I got from you, you have worked in television in Jackson, in New Orleans, and in Baton Rouge. Yes, sir. Those are three very different cities, even though they're all in the South. They're three very different cities. What's your perspective on the distinctions between those communities? They're all different, but they're all the same. How so? Because at the end of the day, what I do, journalism, it's pretty much the same. It's a different group of people, but as far as my profession goes, I was reporting on the exact same thing. The culture that the city brings is very different. Well, that's what I was referring to. Oh, New yes. Orleans has has a oh, very distinct yes. <laughs> culture. Uh, I tell people all the time, Baton Rouge is only 80 miles up the road from New Orleans, but it's a world of difference they culturally. Are, they are. They're completely different. In fact, when I moved from New Orleans, my very first television I ever station that I worked at was right in the French Quarter. And I, everybody, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a late night party or I'm the person who's in bed by nine o'clock. Okay. Well, but I worked till 11 o'clock at night because I worked the 10 p.m. news. So on Fridays nights, everybody would say, oh, let's go grab a drink. And I was probably the only person who'd say, hi. <laughs> but the point to that story is that New Orleans, you can walk out with the drink 
Okay. So for me, that's common knowledge. That's how I know things. Right. And the one drink minimum that or one drink maximum that I have because I can't drink much. Well, when I moved to Baton Rouge and, hey, let's all go grab something. Well, in my head, I'm thinking people haven't finished their drinks and I'm ready to go. It's past my bedtime. So I'm thinking in my head, put in a to-go cup. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Well, that doesn't happen in Baton Rouge. No, you can't do that. That was wait what i think that was one of the biggest shocks for me that wait oh oh oh, that's an only new orleans thing where people stayed out all night and here things shut down at two o'clock i lived in new orleans for nine years i went to seminary down there and then i pastored a church down there for six years new orleans is very different very from, from baton rouge very uh the things that you can do down there you don't have safety stickers on your cars in New Orleans. You have brake tags. <laughs> and, and it's a whole different system. And everything seemed, especially in the time that I was there, the the late 80s to the early 90s, uh, seemed like everything was geared toward New Orleans. There was a favoritism toward New Orleans that, frankly, as a Baton Rougeman, I, I kind of resented. Uh, having lived in, in those different places, uh, throwing in Jackson uh, at, at the top of that list. Do you ever have a, a, a sense that one city is a preferred vineyard to the others, venue to the others? For me or for others? For others. For you know, I think New Orleans, for, for, because people know it. Mm-hmm. People know New Orleans says, hey, the Jazz City or Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. If, you fly, if you're flying somewhere, when you tell somebody where you're from, you say Baton Rouge, some people will say, where's that? Yeah. I mean, granted, it's the capital, but not everybody knows that. You say New Orleans. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah. Or, hey, I'm from Slidell. You're yeah. from where? Yeah. Um, but everybody knows New Orleans. It's not nationally. Worldwide, everybody knows where New Orleans is and what New Orleans is. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, Katrina, if New Orleans wasn't already on the map, Katrina put New Orleans on the map. If nothing else, Katrina... Uh display to the world how overwhelmingly poor a city New Orleans is. New Orleans is known for tourism. A lot of people don't realize that it's actually a college town. There's seven colleges and universities in New Orleans, uh, not not the least of which Loyola, uh, where you went, but there's Tulane and Xavier and Dillard and Suno, uh, as well as other colleges and universities. There was a, a, an all-woman school there one time, mm-hmm. Newcomb College. Uh, yep. I don't know what happened to Newcomb. But uh, uh, people think of it more as a, as a tourist uh, venue and, and a party town. Uh, but New Orleans is an overwhelmingly poor community, and I think Katrina exposed that reality. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're 16 years later still trying to see the kind of recovery that we all hope New Orleans has. Um, what drew you to journalism as opposed to uh, other uh, uh professional career options that you could have taken? What, what was it about journalism? And I asked that question because my sister uh, started off in broadcast journalism and became a lawyer. My wife started off in broadcast journalism, and she's now a minister. So what made you stay <laughs> in, in, in broadcast journalism? I love being the voice of the public. I love calling things out that maybe others are afraid to touch or calling out corruption politics, favoritism as I see it, mm-hmm. and that the public may not be aware of. I love that. And 
you, you when I asked you about Jackson, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and you said that they're different, but they're all the same. Do you see it as being the same with regard to uh, things that need to be called out? Uh, yes, because it's the, the South. Community? Expand on that, please. You have a lot of white-collar crime. Mm-hmm. A lot. But more so in Louisiana. I mean, Louisiana is known for its white-collar crime. Mm-hmm. We're known for the small towns who get away with things or the people in higher positions who are doing things that nobody knows about. And Jackson... I'm sure there is some. It's not as bad as Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, your work here of late, you're, you, you've started your own uh, podcast, your own company. Yes, sir. Uh, what is it that uh, you see as the main focus of your journalistic uh, uh, intentions at the start, as, as you're starting this this new venture, just being the voice of the public and calling it as it is. Is is there a particular thing that that you are drawn to? Is there a particular uh, activity or event? Wrongdoing. Government. Uh, state government. Local government. Uh, uh, police uh, department. There has to be something that is that that is the the crux of what it is that that you're trying to focus on, at well, least from my perspective. I, I and, and I'm trying to get you to tell me what it is rather than me just presume that that I might know. I look at wrongdoing. I know you might be suggesting that going after the police department because that's the one piece that I only have up right now and that too I'm by myself so I know people keep asking hey what's next what's next what's next Mm -hmm. but I'm a little struggling that it's a good problem to have I've got a lot of tips coming in but I operate completely by myself right now okay well let's talk about that for a second and and then we'll come back to 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 to, uh police because I do want to talk about the police uh what's it like being a minority, being a woman, starting your own enterprise, and as you just said, you're on your own. It's hard. Okay, I need you to elaborate, to elaborate a little bit no, more. No, I am. I gotta, I guess, gather my thoughts. I've never been on this side of the camera. Um, it's hard. I love it. I absolutely love it. This is a passion of mine, and. I'm sure you've heard that if you love what you do, you don't go to work. Yes. And for the but I also know that there are challenges of course that, there that, are. that go along with it. Of course it. there are. For- uh, my, my producer, Terrence Turner, has his own business, Mad Game Entertainment, in addition to the work that he does for us here at the church. As an entrepreneur, I regularly quiz him about the challenges of starting a venture and and helping to keep it afloat and make it successful uh, as an African-American male in this community. So I'm I'm asking you, as a minority female, what are the challenges that you see that that you have had to overcome in the time that you have been operating uh, unfiltered with Karen Chop? Well, I've only been up about two weeks. Um, granted, I've been working on this probably the last several months when I finally made up my mind and this was what I was doing. Mm-hmm. 
I put my mind to it and I went for it. But the last two weeks, they've been hard. Um, I don't know if being a minority has anything to do with it. It's just the challenges of being alone. And I guess in my, my situation, it's a little different. Many people do know who I am because of where I worked previously. Mm -hmm. So that kind of works in my favor. Mm -hmm. I have not run into the problem of, hey, she's a minority or she's a female or anything yet. Mm -hmm. um, I pray I don't run into that situation because I don't know what I would do at that point. Um, before we started, I told you I am proud to be an Indian. Yes. I'm very proud of it. I have no problem telling everybody that I'm a first generation born and raised in this country. My parents migrated from India to here. So I hold strong to my culture. I hold strong to my faith. It's hard. Mm -hmm. That alone is very hard because the Indian culture, the Asian culture is very, very, very different than the American culture. So it's like being stuck between a sandwich basically you're sandwiched because at school at work you're american culture well at home you're indian culture because your parents moved from india so you mm -hmm. watch the indian movies you watch indian music listen to indian music where at school they're talking about hey the bands back then well i wasn't very familiar with it so as first generation it's hard and i know i kind of digress but those are the challenges I faced. Right now, being up and going, I have not faced that, hey, she's an Indian. And Sometimes entrepreneurs, minority entrepreneurs, have trouble getting financing. A financing they, they, right they, now has... They have has... trouble going to lending institutions and getting someone to buy into their aspiration. And I'm to just buy starting there. Yeah. I am just starting there, so I can't answer that question. Um, right now, I'm making no money. And I know a lot of people have said, well, how? Um, I have purposely done things the way I have done them to try not to spend too much to start everything up because I don't know how the future is going to go for me. Mm -hmm. I could fall flat on my face mm -hmm. and unfortunately have to shut down what I've started. So I did not want to come out of pocket way too much. Mm -hmm. Now, I have had a few people reach out that we want to advertise. Okay, so if I'm promised those, who's to say that I might get enough to support myself doing this? Mm -hmm. So I am literally just starting out on advertising. And I hope and pray that that works out. But I don't know. If we sit down in a month, maybe I'll be able to answer your question mm -hmm. then. Because we're li literally, we finished the paperwork this morning as far as finalizing advertising. So we're now getting to the point that I'm gonna start sending that out. Okay, okay. So if you know any advertisers, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that you and Terrence can work up some kind of a list that, that might be helpful to you. Uh, you have a, a background of experience uh, in investigative reporting. For those who are viewing and or listening, can you draw a distinction between regular, and I'm probably using the wrong term, regular reporting and investigative reporting? Uh, that, that, that seems to be your bailiwick, investigative reporting. Help me to understand what the nuanced differences are between investigative reporting and, and, and 
other types of reporting. Sure. Um, general assignment is usually what it's called. Number one, it's a difference in the flow of things. So a general assignment reporter usually is going to come in every single morning, 9-ish, 9.30-ish, and you're assigned a story or you bring a story to the table, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And it might be, hey, there's a big celebration going on today at noon or there's a big ribbon cutting going on for a new hospital that's coming into baton rouge Mm -hmm. okay you as the reporter that's your story for the day you're assigned to that go cover it so you're going to go cover that you're going to cover the ribbon cutting you're going to cover some of the people who are there if you can try to find somebody who's going to benefit from this hospital and you're going to come back you're going to piece that together and it will go on air that day for five or six o'clock or ten o'clock the difference between investigative is now let's just take that same scenario there's a ribbon cutting maybe the investigative angle is going to be well how much did that hospital cost how much did taxpayers end up having to pay for it mm-hmm. how long did the construction take on it um, who is this going to benefit mm-hmm. is it going to be only certain people is it things like that you're doing the digging on it not only that how many other hospitals are in baton rouge Mm -hmm. was this a waste of tax dollars that did baton rouge really need another hospital Mm -hmm. things like that and i'm not going to be on air possibly that day i could if they need it for that specific day depending Mm -hmm. on how fast those things are able to come up but investigative journalism relies heavily on public records requests that alone can take several days and so I might not go on air that specific day. I might not even go on air that week. It just depends how long it takes to piece it together. And that's mainly the biggest difference between general assignment and investigative. Has it been your experience as an investigative reporter uh, that you are given the liberty to pursue uh, whatever angle you choose to pursue or were you directed to pursue things from a specific angle or from a from a specific perspective both okay i would imagine the answer to my next question would be the former and not the latter which would you prefer well of course that i'd be given the freedom to see where the story takes me but present the facts only and let the public decide how they feel about it okay so that being said, I've had Scotty Hunter here uh, sitting at this desk, and, and we, I, I approached him about the perspective of media in Baton Rouge. I've lived here most of my life. I told you I spent some time in Egypt, but the Lord let me come back to the promised land. Uh, I, I have strong opinions about the way media is done in Baton Rouge. I I have a little bit of a background of experience in that I remember when all of the media was locally owned uh, uh, and now that's not the case and I've seen the differences that take place because of that. One of the frustrations that I have is that there tends to be a media bias in a certain direction. And I'm asking you, do you share that opinion? And if so, could you expand on that? I do not share it. And to give a little more insight to my answer of both is that there was a time when it was go do your job. Let's see what you dig up. Mm -hmm. Towards the end, I started realizing that this is not go dig up what you want and we'll see where it goes. It was "Mm, let's not touch this story. Let's not touch that story. Let's steer clear of this. 
and that's when I started questioning, what am I doing here? And it's not just here. What am I doing in news at that point? Mm-hmm. And, but I had a paycheck coming in, and I had bills to pay. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? And what's the phrase? Bird in hand is better than... Two in the bush. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I had a job, and then obviously, abruptly, that was pulled from beneath me, I guess. And I had time to realize what was really going on. When you step out of it, when you see it, and not just locally, nationally, I started seeing it. Everybody kept saying, oh, it's a national problem. It's a national problem, but not locally. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm -hmm. There is a bias. Mm -hmm. If there's a bias, and I certainly agree with you that there is one, who do you think, which entities are the ones that are responsible for uh, producing the bias that exists. I I tend to think that it is uh, wealthy people who have an agenda, primarily conservative uh, people, because wealthy people tend to be conservative, uh, who have a particular political point of view that they want to see carried out within the community. And so they utilize the local media at their disposal in order to accomplish their end. And this is true with regard to systems and with regard to individual corporations and with regard to individuals themselves. Let me give you one example of what I'm talking about. And you might not appreciate the example, uh, but uh, I think it's a good one. And you can tell me if, if, if you agree or disagree. LSU came under heavy, heavy scrutiny about Title IX violations, about cover-ups and sexual harassment. And uh, they they took a huge hit in the media uh, with regard to their failure to divulge, their failure to report uh, uh, things that were going on on their campus. In response to that, my perspective, solely my perspective, LSU utilized the force of of their position in this community and in this state to make sure that uh, certain things were given tremendous coverage uh, in, in, in local news that I frankly don't think deserved the kind of coverage that it got. The, the thing that stands out was when Kim Mulkey was hired as the women's head basketball coach for LSU. The 5 o'clock news on WAFB spent the entire 30 minutes covering Kim Mulkey getting off a plane and being driven to the LSU campus in order to have a press conference to announce that Kim Mulkey is the women's basketball coach at LSU. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why would they take 30 minutes of media time for this? And the only answer that makes sense to me is that they're trying to do damage control for all of the Title IX violations and all of the sexual harassment things that have come out, specifically within the athletic department of LSU. And I see that as a media bias that is being pushed by someone. I don't know who, but you don't mess with LSU in this city. 
you, you get in trouble when you start messing with LSU. And people want to do whatever they can uh, to to cover and 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 present LSU in the best possible light possible. And so I see that as a media as a media bias. It didn't deserve 30 minutes. It, it didn't deserve three minutes. But 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 they I were given they were given there. 30 minutes I agree for with that. You there. So that's one single uh, right. minute story that hey LSU has named a new. Uh, coach, this is who it is. If you're interested, you can go and find out more information on the web. So you why don't. why why would that kind of a media bias take place? And 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 if it happened here, then it's happened in other places. That that's my example. I can't answer that question for you though, because that's an answer that the WFB news director has to give you. Now, I will tell you from my perspective. I don't know if you've seen the investigations I did on the former president. I don't care. I went to his house. I sat out in his office for six hours. We did a stakeout in his office um, because he refused to interview with me. And we did the right thing. We reached out. I reached out every single day. And then finally, the last possible day, it was go track him down. Mm -hmm. And I did. Mm -hmm. I went to his house. Not He's at the office. I sat in his office. I sat there mm -hmm. from 9 a.m., ordered lunch there, sat there, and he finally showed up because mm -hmm. he said, you have been sitting here and you deserve an answer. So I didn't care. I don't care if it's LSU. Well, I, I'm not challenging you from the reporter's perspective. No, 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 I'm, no, no, I'm no. I know. I'm your opinion. I don't agree with on, that. On, on where the, the, the media bias comes from. Uh, what what are the powers that be that determine what stories make the five o'clock and the six o'clock and the ten o'clock? But see, I'd be news. speculating an answer because I don't operate that okay, way. Well, and I know that's unfiltered. I am unfiltered. <laughs> so, but so, that's so what so I'm telling you. Speculate with me. To help help me to understand what the Bad News Area Foundation has a tremendous amount of power in this community. Now, they, they call themselves a nonprofit, but they control tremendous amounts of dollars in this community. Baton Rouge Area Chamber controls tremendous amounts of dollars and have a lot of political uh, weight at their disposal. Lobby has a tremendous amount of political capital that they can expend on any one area. There are issues that are taking place all over this community. Uh, Kim Mulkey and LSU, that, that's just one. But how media reports crime and violence, the very language that is used to report crime and violence that takes place within this community uh, has been uh, frustrating to me. I'm born in this city. I, I, I was raised in this city. When you tell me that a problem happened, a shooting occurred, a robbery took place, and it took place near Southern University's campus. That, to me, is denigrating towards Southern University. If it took place on 78th Avenue... Then say that. Then say 78th Avenue. Don't okay. say near Southern University. And, and you never hear, or at least you didn't used to hear, you hear it a little bit more now, near the LSU campus. What, what you heard was it took place on this street at this place at this time. Somebody has to be dis deciding how these things are reported. Well, the and I'm asking someone, as a reporter, who do you think is the determinant of how these things are reported? The buck stops with the news director. And the way this works is it's a bunch of 
people, producers, reporters, editors, whatnot, everybody writing, if you're assigned to that specific story about a shooting, it comes down to, hey, how this reporter wrote it. Then there's an editorial process that the producer will approve that script. Then executive producer will approve that script. So the news director may not have final say on every single thing, but... Um, an executive producer, the news director hired that specific person to be in charge because your experience should be there. That So it stops, I guess, with the, it's called an EP, executive producer, that they need to be monitoring that. And I guess at the end of the day, like, you're asking, hey, editorialize or edit, editorial questions, and I never played that role. So as a reporter, that's what I'm saying, that I can tell you what I did, what my thought process is, not anybody else's. Well, if I'm covering a crime and it happened, like you said, on 78th Street, I write, hey, it happened on 78th Street, two blocks from a park that maybe everybody will know of, but you use it as a mark point that, hey, everybody knows where Southern University is or LSU is or Let's just say if I say, hey, it happened on 78th, two blocks from a Breck Park. Well, which Breck Park? I don't know which Breck Park that is. If I live out in Plaquemine, I have no idea what Breck Park. Oh, yeah, I do know where Southern is. And my fear is that the people, the the EPs that you're describing, have no idea because they're not from here. Yes. They have no background of experience with Baton Rouge. But they hear a shooting at Southern. I see. I know exactly what you're saying. They heard a shooting at Southern, or they heard a shooting at LSU. But my answer to your question is, it's an editorial decision, or not decision, it's not the right word. Can you appreciate the fact that- It's not right. as, As a listener to the broadcast, it comes across as a slam against oh i agree a historically I just said black that. college or university i just said that yeah. that the person in plaquemine hears a shooting at southern right they didn't hear a shooting on 78th street right and that's not right it's not if that's like saying a shooting happened near top golf wait what there was a shooting at top golf yeah. that's what the public hears yeah but that's not what was said and yeah, those are problems that the media has to fix. So how do we improve that on, on, on what I'm calling a bias, uh, and, and, and I call it a systemic bias, because it, it hasn't happened just once or twice. It's happened 20, 30, 40 times uh, in, uh, over the span of several years, and it becomes a pattern. I've lived here long enough to where when you say North Baton Rouge, what you mean is anything north of Florida Boulevard. Florida Boulevard is the dividing line in this city. Anything that is north of Florida Boulevard is considered North Baton Rouge. That's not North Baton Rouge. To people who have lived here any length of time, you don't get to North Baton Rouge until you get up into the Glen Oaks area, into the Southern Heights area, into the Bark Vista area, uh, and, and most people don't even know where those areas are. But when you say North Baton Rouge, people are being trained to hear something negative. You are correct. So how do we overcome that in your opinion? It has to change. You can't keep saying that. How do we change it? The training needs to come from the top. That this will no longer happen. So if a reporter writes that or a producer writes it, the buck needs to stop with the top person that, hey, we're not writing it this way anymore. If I'm John Q. Public, and, and I am John Q. Public, do I have a voice? Do, do I have Pick a, up the phone a mechanism the by which I can uh, complain Pick about? Pick up the phone and call the newsroom 
And in today's day and age, you have every way to reach out. Social media is playing a huge role. Now. Oh, I use it quite yes. much, quite a lot. That's good. Yeah. But the phones ring nonstop in newsrooms. People call to complain about anything and everything. They didn't like a story. They're going to pick up the phone and call and complain. I feel like I'm not answering your question, but well, I don't know if I'm capable you're, you're, of. You're answering it. At least, at least you're, 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 you're making more of an effort than the other person who was sitting here who, who didn't make any Well, because I'm not all. in that profession. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 let me rephrase that. I'm not in that specific position anymore, so I can say things. Mm -hmm. That's why. But, yes, there is a bias. Why do you think I started So why couldn't he thing? say anything? If he said I, I'm just curious. The fact that he is an employee of a local station means that he is all of a sudden muted with regard to... Uh, a certain activity that takes place muted. within that profession? I was muted. If I, I made a post on my personal Facebook page, and I'll go ahead and say this, um, the harder you work, the more you get screwed. Um, happy Employee Appreciation Day. I got called in for that post that, why did you write that? It was on a personal, personal page. Somehow, somebody found it, sent it to management. I got called in for that. That's my personal page. It's social media. Mm -hmm. But I was told to delete it. Um, another case, somebody posted something, and I said, don't worry about it. That things happen, and sometimes the harder you work, it... I, I, I want to be careful with my words. Okay. But... I want to stick to being unfiltered, so I guess I technically don't need to be careful with my words. Um, somebody posted some frustrations on Facebook, and I used my personal page and said, don't worry about it. Because at the end of the day, as a journalist, we respond to the public. We work for the public. Just keep that in mind and keep doing your thing and keep plugging away. Don't worry about what's going on inside the building, because these people aren't going to go very far the ones who are giving you a hard time. Mm -hmm. I got called and told that that goes against the brand of the station and to remove, and the post was removed. So no, you're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to argue anything. Good luck trying to argue investigations. Good luck trying to argue that, well, the person in the story wants this, and but management's telling you here you're not doing that. But that's what the person wants. And me, the reporter, I'm going to fight for that person because mm -hmm. that's I'm trying to be their voice. Mm -hmm. That's what I signed up to do. Mm -hmm. And I've been put in this situation. I left out crying that. But that's what this person wanted. And I was told it doesn't matter. The viewers are not ready for that. The viewers are adults. Let them decide for themselves what they're ready for and what they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. And maybe that is why half the reason that I might be out of a job is that my thought process was different. Mm -hmm. But yes, I was muted. That's you've seen the people who are coming out in today's day and age in the last few days, in the last few weeks, the two people I know of who have come out and they're speaking out. One was suspended for speaking. Why? So and that's why I've started my own thing. The initial question that I would ask in response to that is, why would you want to stay in, not in journalism, in Baton Rouge? 
if if this is the case I owe here, it to the people here to get them the truth. I mean, you, you, you're a talented individual. You probably have the skills. You have umpteen awards. I was reading here. You have three Emmys, 10 Edward R. Murrow Awards, an Associated Press News Person of the Year Award, a Louisiana Association of Broadcasters Reporter of the Year Award. You probably have a resume that would allow you to go anywhere you wanted to go. But this is home. My parents are right here. My family, my friends, they're here. I planted my roots in Baton Rouge 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I won't lie. I did. Back then, I was from New Orleans, and I thought, I'm going home. After you've been through Katrina in New Orleans and you've lost your home, mm-hmm. I was I was the one saying, I'm proud to swim back home. When people were saying, New Orleans is, I don't know if I should say Egypt. this word. There. <laughs> I'll just there. call it Egypt. Thank you. Um, I mean, no offense to Egypt, I guess. <laughs> um I was proud to say I'm from New Orleans, mm-hmm. and I am proud to say mm-hmm. that. Uh, when the Saints won that Super Bowl, it wasn't just a football game. Sure. I remember crying that day, and I kept saying, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Sure. What was wrong with me was the fact that the Saints were nobody, and everybody, oh, they're the brown paper bag team. And guess what? They proved New Orleans is New Orleans. I'm getting chills as I talk about this. <laughs> but... At that time, I told myself, I got a three-year contract here, and in two years, my out kicks in, mm-hmm. and out meaning that after that, I can leave. And I told myself, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm going back home after the two years. But this became home. Mm-hmm. The people became home. The culture became home. When I'd knock on a door, it was just like New Orleans. Hey, darling, come on in. You want a cup of sweet tea? Mm-hmm. Come sit. Come have coffee. Before you started interviewing, you had a talk. And mm-hmm. I love that. I love people. This is my home now. I live here. I live in the city limits of Baton Rouge. Good. And this is my home. I do, too. Yep. And I'm proud to call this place home. I don't care how bad it's gotten. This is my home. Okay. So let's talk about how bad it's gotten. Uh, home for me in every way, every conceivable way. Home for me. Uh Baton Rouge has issues, and one of the issues has to do with law enforcement. There are, I believe, and I don't have a list in front of me, but I believe that there are some 14 different law enforcement agencies that operate within Baton Rouge or East Baton Rouge Parish. That includes uh, the constable's office, the sheriff's office, the Baton Rouge Police Department, uh, the various college police departments that you have uh, that all operate within this community. There is a sense among black and brown people in this community that Baton Rouge is over-policed. As an investigative reporter, as a journalist, uh, what is your perception of that belief? I'm not asking you, do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? I'm asking you, what is your perception of the, the, the genesis of that belief? Number one, I really appreciate you saying Brown. I do. I think I've for so long said the world is not black and white because I don't fit in any of those. Yes. So number one, thank you for saying Brown. Yes. To answer your question, and I, I guess I got so distracted with Brown, I got so excited. You're asking, is Baton Rouge over police? Yes. 
there are certain sections that are probably over-policed. Yes. You and want then, to elaborate on that? Um, but things have changed over years. And, I mean, I've been in Baton Rouge 11 years. I don't remember how many police chiefs I've covered, but it's one of those of, hey, um, a statistician will say that there are so-called gangs in zip code XYZ or there are drugs in zip code I remember covering Brave, 70805. Brave came about for that very reason. There was mm-hmm. a statistician at LSU, and his primary job was to look at all that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all area Brave was concentrated on 70805. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it was over-policed, but they did that on purpose. Their goal was that, hey, let's try to get the the drugs under control or if there were gangs. Some say there were, some say there weren't gangs. That let's get all that under control. So, yes, it was over police, but it was done on purpose. So I don't know if I'm really answering your question. Well, you're giving me your answer. Uh, Thank you. I I am. (laughs) I I don't think that Baton Rouge was over police. I think Baton Rouge is over policed. Uh, I think that uh, there are concentrated efforts uh, in certain zip codes that overlook the fact that there are problems that exist in other zip codes. And the zip codes that people concentrate on are the zip codes that are primarily occupied by minorities. Uh, I think that there's a commonality that exists within within those zip codes that have to do with lack of employment, lack of economic opportunity, lack of job training, uh, and a five-minute news segment only talks about the fact that there was a shooting, there was a robbery, there was this, that, and no one spends the time doing what I think investigative reporting ought to be doing, which is getting to the underlying roots of why crime exists in certain areas. I don't see anybody going back saying, well, what's the employment uh, uh, situation in this zip code, what's the that wh- story. what's the economic uh, condition here? Why are there food deserts in certain areas of this city? Uh, you know, w- when I see national reports about unemployment falling, I, I I get irritated because I know number one that's not true about African Americans, and number two, it's not true in certain zip codes within this community. In certain zip codes in this community, unemployment is close to twenty percent. You don't see that on local news or on national news. All you hear is that nationally, unemployment is falling, which gives people the idea, oh, the economy must be getting better. It's not getting better for for, for these people who live in these communities. And I would like to see investigative reporting done on the reasons why situations are the way that they are. Number one, I don't believe that my own personal belief, I don't believe that crime is higher in 70805 than it is in 70817. I believe the crime is reported more in 70805, is, is, is harped upon more in 70805 than it is in 70817. I believe that, that, that the, uh, the, 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 the reason for, or, or, or the, the, the drug of choice is different in 70805 than it is in 70817. But there's just as much drug abuse going on in 70817 as there is in 70805. Maybe why, more. Why is that not being investigated? Not by 
reporters. Why is that not being investigated at all by, by, by the sheriff's office? People harp on the, the, the chief of police in the Baton Rouge Police Department. The chief law enforcement officer for East Baton Rouge Parish is the sheriff. It is not the chief of police. And yet all the questions fall upon the chief of police, and I hear very few questions being asked of the sheriff's department. And I would like to know why. Well, you said a few different things. So which one do you want me to answer? <laughs> Whichever one you, 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 you feel like well, you want to respond. Well, at the end of the day, if it's within city limits, the way they look at it is let the police, you don't want to step on toes. It's more political than anything. Unless the sheriff's office is called in, and this is my experience of just covering the agencies, you don't step on their toes. So if it's within city limits, Baton Rouge Police is um, 100% responsible. If it's a huge scene and they need help, they call in for backup, but otherwise they take care of it. Anything outside of city limits, but obviously in the parish is where deputies cover it with East Baton Rouge Parish. That's why. So, and again, you said a lot. So tell me what you want me to t refer to. I answered the last yeah, question I heard. I'm I'm asking why is it not reported? You answered the question about the sheriff versus the police. Why why is there no secondary reporting being done about the 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 job problems the employment problems in these communities in these zip codes since we seem to divide everything by zip code uh, and by voting district uh, 70805 has a poor uh, uh, employment opportunity uh, outlook why why doesn't anybody recognize that or I shouldn't say why doesn't anybody that's being too general why is there not enough being done to try to respond to that as opposed to simply saying that there's a criminal or, or, or there's a crime problem in that area number one it suggests that every every neighborhood within that zip code is a crime uh, is a crime scene waiting to happen because perception is is what the media makes it to be. I've got real problems with, with some of the way the things are reported. Uh, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> so so when, when you say that, 708, I was, I was born and raised in 70807, uh, which is Southern Heights, Park Vista, uh, Banks, that, that area of town. When you say that there's a problem in 70807, that doesn't mean that there's a problem in Southern Heights. It doesn't mean that there's a problem in Park Vista. It doesn't mean that there's a problem in Crestworth. It means that there was a problem that took place within 70807, but the way it's reported, it sounds like the problem is 70807. I've got a problem with that. I've got a problem with the, 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 the fact that uh, uh, we don't call upon those who have the resources at their disposal to make better use of the resources that they have in order to eliminate some of these problems. Again, I'll give you my example. I don't know the man. I can only read what I, what I see in, in the uh, papers. Uh, Richard Lipsy uh, has come out saying money is not going to solve the problem of panhandling. 
I beg to differ. I think money can solve the problem of panhandling if you use the money in the right way, not the way he was talking about using it. He was talking about buying hotels from people and closing them down so that panhandlers couldn't uh, continue to have a place of shelter along uh, Segan Lane while they do their panhandling. Uh, but money could be used to support uh, drug addiction programs and job training programs and shelters uh, that exist within, already exist. You don't need to develop one. They already exist within this community. If you would take your financial resources, immense financial resources that average people like you and me don't have, and apply them in that way, then money could help solve that problem. But it's not reported that way. And so, how do we change the atmosphere? I'm, I'm trying to, to find a different way to ask this question. How do we change the atmosphere of, of information that goes out into the community that might be more helpful? I'm not talking about positive versus negative, helpful. To simply say, this area is a crime-ridden area, this area is not. This area is, is, is a, a, an enterprise zone, and this area is not. There are people out there who need desperately to be helped, and media can help them. And there are community resources. Baton Rouge is not a poor community. There are pockets of poverty here, but we're not a poor community. There's an immense amount of wealth out there. We're spending money to fix lakes. Why can't we spend money to fix people? I agree with everything you're saying, so I don't know what to answer. <laughs> I mean, I'm agreeing. Well, I'm, I'm I agree 100 percent. For your opinion, um, I'd love to do this story. I have no problem doing that. I mean, I'm not filtered anymore, and I'm sure you picked up on the word anymore. Mm -hmm. So I can do what I want now. But back then, it was too sensitive of a subject. So let's not touch it. Okay. Well, you know what? Reality is, we need to touch it. That's how I feel. This country, we have to touch it. I'm sorry, I don't care how sensitive this subject is. If it hurts somebody's feelings, oh well. We have got to touch these subjects. Why do you think I put my culture out there? Because if you understand my culture, you understand me. You get a little more insight into me. That's why. But if I never put it out there, you don't know me. You know me as Kieran, and that's it. But now you know, hey, henna is a part of the culture, what holy is, or what parts of my culture are. And if I could wear it on TV, I would. Things like, and I did. I, my, whenever I had henna on, which I don't know if everybody who's watching and listening know what henna is, but henna is um, a ceremonial. I saw the picture. I love it. When I've gone to India, the very first thing I do is I go get henna. It lasts about two to three weeks. Before I leave India, I get it done again. Mm -hmm. And obviously I go to work like that, and I love it. But I am proud of that. My point is we have to touch those sensitive subjects, and I'm no longer filtered to where I can't touch it. So bring them to me. Is there tribalism in Baton Rouge? <sighs> Expand on the question, I guess. I don't know what you mean by that. Well, this might sound stupid, but yeah. We but tend to, to move to our polar ends. Uh, if I'm 
nobody wants to be liberal anymore. If I'm progressive, then I'm on one end. If I'm conservative, I'm on another. Uh, there seems to be little tolerance for a moderate or middle ground. Uh, we, we tend to talk only to people who agree with us, who see things from our perspective. Uh, that's what I mean by tribalism. And if there's tribalism, you haven't answered my question yet. If, if, if you think that there's tribalism, what's the rootage of the tribalism? Is it, is it racial? Is it economic? Is it academic? Is it political? Is there tribalism in Baton Rouge? In your opinion? Yes, um, there is, to an extent. Um, it's kind of like a neighborhood, I guess, that, uh, prime example, when I get home and I'm in my pajamas, I'm not going out. I don't feel like putting all that makeup back on and changing clothes, but if I step outside my next door neighbor's there, I'll hang out with them, because mm -hmm. it's easy, and I'm, I can stay in my pajamas. So it's that comfort level of staying in your area and extend that to a neighborhood as far, I guess I'm using the word neighborhood, but extend that to your comfort zone. So yeah, you do stay in it. How do you grow if you only stay in your, in, in your own know. comfort zone? I don't know. And that's one of the things I love about journalism. I get put in situations where I don't know anybody. I'm, I've covered things that I would have never even known how things operate. That's what I do love about my job. The human interest stories, I've covered. I didn't know how king cake's made. Mm -hmm. But I know that's a far stretch. But things like that, like I've been able to learn that. Have you watched somebody make a king cake from scratch? I lived in New Orleans for nine years. Well, then you're, I, I, I you're know, different. I know how so. <laughs> But you know what made. I mean. But, but what, I, what, what I would appreciate would be us moving past a, a point of just being curious and having our curiosity satisfied to our being responsive to the needs that have been presented to us as a result of that curiosity. To me, curiosity should lead to some kind of action. Why is there uh, an, a food desert in certain areas of this community? Why, why do food deserts exist? Uh, I'm curious. Why, why are there three Albertsons within a three-mile radius and no Albertsons between Florida Boulevard and Baker? Uh, for example, no, no Albertson. Three over here within a three-mile radius and none at all over here. Well, that's curious. And, 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 but once I learn what the answer is, the next thing should be, how do we fix that? How do we resolve that? And I don't think that tribalism allows us to ask the next question because we're only talking within our own circles. And, 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 and if you're in the Albertson circle and you say that we have a scientific uh, uh, design plan that says that people with a certain degree of economic security are the people that we want to cater our store to and we want to plant, we want to make our investment in this area and this area only, and these people don't fall within that, uh, that, that, that design plan, that, that, that pattern that we have. And so it's not a decision made on the basis of race. It's not a decision that's made on the basis of, of class. It's a decision that's made on the basis of, of this chart that says that this is where we can be most successful. Well, doggone it, don't you think that 
The 72-year-old woman who's lived in this community for 40 years deserves to be able to go to Albertsons to get groceries. Uh, don't you think that there's that, that, that some modification needs to be done to your study that says that you put all of these stores in one place and put no stores in the other? And so my question about tribalism, I, I, I'm, I'm indicating my own bias. My, my, my problem with tribalism is it does not lead to resolution. It leads to just a reinforcement of what we're already doing. And I'm asking you, you've already said you, you think that there is tribalism. How do we break out of that? I think every human being has to go within themselves and make that change. Prime example, um, you have a grocery store that's across the street for you. And so for you, why are you worried about, hey, this person doesn't have a grocery store? Because you're good. You go to your job and then you come home and grab groceries real quick on your way home and then go home and cook dinner, take the kids to whatever practice and get home, do homework, laundry, whatnot, and finally make it to bed yourself and just crash. We're so consumed in our own lives lately because I don't know if it's social media, but life just feels like we're already in, about to be in July. Like, where did this year go? Every year gets faster and faster. But human beings in general, we're all so go, 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 go. And I don't think anybody's doing it on purpose, but we're just all trying to keep up with ourselves that we don't stop to think the convenience that we have is, hey, that grocery store's across the street or on the way home, whereas there is that 72-year-old woman who doesn't have a grocery store within even 10 miles, 15 miles, 5 miles within their home. What can I as a human being do to make that change for her? I think that's a change that has to come from within every human being. And community systems have to be responsive to that, mm -hmm. do, do you think? Yes. One human being can't go up to somebody and hold up a sign and say, a grocery store needs to come here. You got to do something about mm -hmm. that. It might be a big group needs to go have a conversation to the city council and say, hey, we need a grocery store here. And not the people who only need it, but the other people who say, see, hey, that 72-year-old doesn't have one within 15 miles, and I'm blessed that I can go across street, and within 15 miles, I might have 15. Right. Those people do have to step up and come in. I don't know if defense is the right word, but we we have to be a community. We have to speak for each other. I want to get to the police department. Okay. Time that we have left. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that you've given as much time as you have. You're welcome. Um, I have a problem with the police union. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about the police union before Alton Sterling in 2016. Uh, I educated myself by talking to people who were and are police officers. And uh, what I have come to conclude is that the police union wants to run the police department. and they have engaged in a war of, of, of words and a war of tactics against uh, the police administration, the, the previous one and the current one, uh, because they feel, for whatever reason, that they have 
uh, the right to run the police department. I believe the police union has the right to exist. I believe that the police union has the right to voice uh, opinions uh, with regard to uh, the rank and file of, uh, of their force. But I do believe that a line needs to be drawn between the, the, the police union and those who supervise the police department. What am I referring to? I'm referring to billboards that denigrate the city that the police department is supposed to protect and serve. I'm referring to uh, uh, taking the police chief uh, to uh, task uh, before the municipal, the fire and, and police civil service board uh, because the police chief is trying to supervise his department. Uh, and I don't see it. I know the mayor is African-American. I know the police chief is African-American. I don't see it from a standpoint of race, although certainly race is involved in it. I see it from the standpoint of policy and procedure and civility. Uh, I understand the frustration of working for someone, and I understand the frustration of supervising those who work for me. And I understand that there is a tension that is involved in those things. But I do think that there is such a thing as fighting fair. And I don't believe that the police union is always fighting fair and utilize tactics uh, that are designed to try to bully a, 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 a response from uh, the mayor's office, the chief's office, uh, the Metro Council that is in their favor. Uh, I see media as playing a role in that. It, it might not be a, 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 an active role, but I, I think that they play a passive role in allowing it to happen and in tacitly supporting it. And I think that it helps to perpetuate the feelings of tribalism. That's, that's why I was asking the question about tribalism. The feelings of tribalism that already exist within this community. I'm not asking you about your opinions about the police department. Uh, I'm asking you as a reporter, do you think that media has a role to play in, in trying to uh, inform on both sides all that goes on with the complexities of law enforcement within this. I have a bias. I, I, I freely admit I have a bias. Uh, since Sterling, uh, and, and my bias is not that we don't need police. God knows I know we need police. I have members of this church who serve on the police department, and I'm proud of them, and I support them 100%. But I do believe that the police department has, uh, has a history of uh, engaging in tactics and behavior that cause it to be seen in the most negative light among black, brown, and poor people, marginalized, vulnerable people. And I think that media, because media, people believe in what they see. Mm -hmm. I believe that media can play a role in either enhancing that opinion or in dispelling 
that opinion. So, with that being laid out there, what is your response? I'm so confused what the question is. <laughs> it's not so much a question as it is, this is my feeling. And I, one, of the, one of the things that I wanted to do with you being here is give someone who I think has a different opinion from my own uh, an opportunity to respond face to face. You're sitting across the table from me. Tell me where I'm off base, if I'm off base. Tell me where I might be falling short in my, in my thought process. I am open to learning. That's the whole point of this. I want to learn. So well, learn, learning involves communication, involves talking to people, getting outside of my comfort zone. So I don't think you're wrong. Okay. I don't think you're wrong. You said that if you're in, you're wrong. Number one, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everyone. Everybody's entitled to the way they think. So, number one, you're not wrong. Um, I guess let me start with the police union. You said that you feel like they're trying to control the police department. Yes. It's like you gave the example earlier that the person who came and sat here and you did an interview that they weren't as open with you. Well, the reason they can't is because they could lose their job if they're open and honest. I told you that I wasn't allowed to do certain things. Well, the same, that's how police departments work, but they're a lot worse than a newsroom. A police officer can't go out and talk. Um, there's a state law that is the police officer's bill of rights. So the union steps in. In our profession as well, now it's not as much, but we used to have unions back in the day for reporters, for photographers. You were known as a union shop. Oh, that's a union shop. The photographers had rights that were protected by the union because the photographer, him or herself, could not stand up for themselves without being retaliated against. So look at that the same way as a police department. A police officer cannot speak up because, well, they could be retaliated against. So that's where the union steps in. You have to pay a fee to be a part of that union. So they speak up on behalf of officers and their rights if they feel their rights are being violated because, as I said, they are protected by a state law. Um, so that's, I, again, I don't feel like they're sitting here and saying the police department should be run as X, Y, Z. That's chief's, that's the chief's role. That's why he or she is elected as the chief of police. That is his or her department, how he runs it. Having said that, there are certain policies and procedures of the department of, or any law enforcement agency that are already set in place. If you want to change them, you go before the government and try to have them changed. And Now, you know that that's easier said than done. I know. It, it, it's much easier said than done. But it, it uh, does happen. Uh, the, the, the Fire and Police Municipal Service Board is a five-member board uh, that has the power to undo whatever administrative decisions the chief po the chief of police or the chief of the fire department, for that matter. Uh, but uh, that's bring, protection bring, bring for the... Yes, it is protection. But I don't mind a union or any other group... Uh, that 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 wants to advocate for a certain position. Uh, I think that they have that right to do so. I do mind when you utilize tactics that undermine and put in the most negative light possible the very community that you're trying to serve. 
billboards that say enter at your own risk that are sponsored by the police union. I have a problem with that. You have a problem with it because you're a citizen of Baton Rouge and it hurts to see your city being like that. Hold on, let me respond to that okay. real quick if I can now. Um, that's why it bothers you, correct? Some of the part that it hurts, it hurts right here to see our city becoming like this. And hold on, hold on. Let me, I guess, let me see. <laughs> well, well, you asked me and then, and then you, you. Oh, well, go ahead then. Well, it hurts me because it suggests that there is not unanimity in our purpose. I understand that there can be differences of opinion and methodology, but our purpose should be unified. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just said uh, that. And, 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 and if our purpose is unified, then why would you resort to a tactic that undermines the overall purpose? We all want to see Baton Rouge become the best city Agreed. possible. So saying enter at your own risk to me does not does not does not support the overall view that we want to see Baton Rouge be the best city that it can be agreed but what if the other party is not responding to you at all and the message that they want to try to get out to the public is hey violence is starting to increase a little bit just be a little more careful and that if the mayor and the chief are not responding at all to the union and saying yes let's do something let's let's get out in front of it and let's let people know that hey if you're going to the albertsons or i should say a grocery store i guess just any grocery store if you're going to a grocery store be careful unfortunately it's not just baton ridge things are changing across the country right now that hey just be careful uh especially around christmas time i remember being a reporter we'd always cover that hey be careful around the mall or be careful just little precautionary things keep your keys in your hands and uh keep hold your purses real tight things like that well those stories only came around uh, out around christmas time because everybody knew that um you don't think that there's a difference between saying be careful and saying enter at your own risk I do, you, you, but you be don't, you, careful. You don't think that one is kind of ratcheted up? Oh, I agree. A little bit. It is, but that's what they chose to put out. And again, I can't control what the union decides to. No, put I'm, out. Not, I'm not asking you to but, control it. I'm, I'm asking you, as as a reporter, as a person who, has, by, by your own admission, has your fingers on the pulse of various things that go on within this community. When 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 something like that happens, do you think that it's helpful to the overall raising of the quality of life for this community? Probably not. Probably not. But on the flip side, what the point was was, hey, violence is increasing. Just be careful. And again, I'm not the union. I understand so that. maybe that's their choice as far as wordage, but that's also why I did the story that, whoa, caution, enter at your own risk. Like, that's pretty interesting. Yes, I did that story, and I'm going to go ahead and say the rest of all of this. Um, I did that story when I was no longer at my previous employer. I, as a journalist, you always get all sides of the story. I reached out to the mayor's office to get a response as, hey, would you like to respond? This is what's uh, going on. I, I'll i come back to that real quick. And then I also did the same thing with the chief's office, 
through the proper procedures, I reached out to the public information officers and asked that, hey, doing this story, trying to request an interview with the chief or any comment that the chief would have to this. Um, I never got a call back from the police department, not even one call. The mayor's office, the public information officer basically told, gave me a long text message and told me that, well, first he called me at the close of that day saying that for now we have no comment but if things change we'll let you know sounds good so did the story and i said all that um and it is on my youtube channel you're welcome mm -hmm. to go watch that story mm -hmm. i said that the chief's office never returned my call but the mayor's office said that as of now they have no comment and if things change they would let me know mm -hmm. well the next day i see that the mayor has sent out a press release or something to all the stations to all the media in the city i never got that i never got the response so i was like well if i put that out i have to put out her side i have to that's mm -hmm. the right thing to do so i reached out to the mayor's public info public information officer requesting that specific press release and i was told i will not get it and i said why not and they said that you are an independent blogger and that you have no editorial process over you so we're not sending it to you You'll get some press releases, but that's all you're going to get. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, well, I can't copy what was sent to some other media outlet. You don't do that. So I had no response from either one. The last investigation I did, I did the exact same thing. I reached out to both agencies. Never did I even get a call back or a text back or an email back. It's more of mm, don't exist. That's wrong. You might not agree with me. Mm -hmm. It's like you just said. You, we, you and I might not agree on everything, but you have to sit down and let me hear what you want to say. Mm -hmm. Give me your side. Let the public make up their own mind. But if you won't even respond to me, what do I do? I'm doing the right thing. And I believe that there came a point when the union reached that point that they can't reach out. They can't, nobody's responding. And they put the message out. Yes, they didn't like how it came out. And I'm again, I'm not the union. I understand. So this is me as a reporter. But then the elephant in the room here is that I favor the police. No, I don't. I call it like it is. Go back and look through my last 11 years that I've been in Baton Rouge. I have called out God knows how many bad apples. And I will continue calling out the bad apples. Mm -hmm. I am not afraid to do that. I don't care what agency he, she is with. I will call out the bad apples. But I'll also do the good stories. I'll do the bad stories. I'll do it all. I don't care. But I forgot where, where was I going with this? What was I talking about? Oh, that the the chief, at the end of the day, ended up firing the union vice president of the union because he did that interview with me. That he did go before the uh, the municipal civil service board. Mm -hmm. He got his job back, mm -hmm. and then he ended up resigning, saying that it was hostile work in quite, hostile work conditions. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a little bit of where all this is stemming from. I would have, till this day, if the chief is watching this, I'd love to do a sit down. I've, when I worked at my previous employer, I would reach out. All the investigations I did do, the chief never once sat down with me. Mm -hmm. Not once. I was scheduled for an interview with him. Five minutes before he came and told me he's got stomach issues and he would not be doing the interview his deputy chief would be. And I said, okay, well, chief, if you're not feeling well, we can do it on a different day. And I remember 
he got loud with me and told me, I'm telling you, I don't feel well. I'm not, we're, and you're stopping me from going to the bathroom. I said, I'm not stopping you at all. Please go do what you need to do. We'll wait on you. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I'm going to give you my deputy chief. I said, sounds good. Well, we'll do that. And if I have any other questions for you, maybe you can step in. He goes, okay. Then it was, well, do you both want to sit and let the deputy chief answer majority of the questions? He goes, sounds good. So the photographer changed up all the settings. As you can see, the mics and everything. But he had to change the settings, add another chair, add a mic. After all that was figured out chief again said that he doesn't want to do it and at that point i said well chief it's already set up why don't you just sit down and that's when he said i have to go to the bathroom you're stopping me and i told you i don't feel well and raised his voice i said Mm -hmm. no problem chief if you don't feel well just why don't you go home Mm -hmm. okay well the whole time the interview was going on he was standing in the background of the interview the photographer I was with, I mean, this is a very, very, very talented photographer and award-winning photographer. He covers every angle. Well, he's in the shot the entire time. So we showed it. We showed that he told me he wasn't feeling well five minutes before the interview, but he stayed through the entire interview. And the chief didn't like that. So the next investigation I did, um, same thing, reached out and asked for an interview with the police chief, and it was until she apologizes to me for the previous story i'm not interviewing that call went to my former news director mm-hmm. my own news director said we're not apologizing we didn't do anything wrong you did your job and for investigations there are god knows how many levels of approval that you have to go through so that was approved at every level mm-hmm. and he even said we're not apologizing so that was the what we call the tag of the story um, that again the deputy chief did the interview for that second story as well and the tag the anchor ended up saying it was that we did reach out to the department we specifically asked for an interview with the police chief but the police chief said that Kieran had to apologize and management agreed there was no need to apologize so he did not do the interview well didn't like that either in the past, I've done, when there were issues going on with Brave, yes, it was Brave funding. I did stories on that with the previous mayor, well, I'm sorry, with the current mayor, Mayor Sharon Weston Broom. She called the news director and said she'd be willing to do an interview with anybody but me. And management told them, sorry you don't get to pick and that's just a standing rule for any human being you can't call and say i don't want to do it with kieran i'll do it with somebody else no you don't get to pick who your reporter is Mm -hmm. so no that but then same thing the anchor said that on air now it's out to the public it's out to the public that the chief wanted apology it's out to the public that he stood in the background so my point is every single time i've done something i reach out to all agencies and i do my part to reach out and say can i please get your response i don't care if the interview is an hour long i don't know how long you and i have been talking but i would say by the time this ends you've learned a little bit more about me than you did not know sure however long ago and vice versa but people who are watching may have gotten a little more insight into me that they didn't know well, until you sit down and have that conversation or send a comment or something, how does the public know what you're trying to say 
or what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. And that's my point about tribalism, and that's my point about uh, open opportunities for communication. Uh, you and I would not typically have a conversation other than the fact that we extend an invitation to you to come onto this podcast and you graciously consented to do so. Uh, but I think that it's important that we have this conversation. It is. It's important that we have the, the, the environment that allows us to express differences of opinion in a civil way. Uh, because the goal, I, I, I say this to uh, couples that I, I, I counsel from time to time, the goal is not to win. The goal is to resolve the, yes. the, the, the problem. Yes. And, and, and so I'm, I'm a, a person who is seeking to be a part of resolving issues, not trying to win and say my point was right. Exactly. And, 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 and so I want to know if I have an opinion, and I, I've already voiced what my opinion is, if I, if I have an opinion that there's a schism that exists within the police department that is uh, divisive towards uh, raising the quality of life within the Baton Rouge community, uh, then I want to be able to hear from people who might have a different point of view. You've already said you don't represent the police union, but I have seen some of your reporting. And I, I have the sense that your opinion about the police and my opinion about the police uh, may differ on, on, on certain issues. And so I wanted to have the opportunity to, to uh, flesh that out, uh, to, to, to use the journalism term. You go, of we course. want to flesh this out a of little course. bit. Uh, uh, last thing, and because we, we've been here a while, and I, uh, and, and I really appreciate the time that you've of given uh, to us. I get the sense, you, you said it earlier, that uh, Baton Rouge is home to you. Uh, do you plan on this being your home forever? Uh, I have no problem with that. I always close these meetings with people asking, do you want your children to be raised in this community? How, how do you feel about, given the environment, given the politics, given the economics, given all, given all of the things that go to make up this city, would you want your children to be raised in this city? I know you don't have children yet, but I'm sure that that's somewhere in the future of your life. Ha have you ever thought about that? And I have, and I don't know if I can say yes right now because it's gotten to a point even where I live now, and I'm not moving because of it, but the very, very, very first time I was walking my dog and I heard something and I thought, wait, what was that? And a few of the neighbors even said, did everybody hear that? Anybody else hear that? It was gunshots. And it scared me. I went right back in my house. Now I walk the dog and I hear them a lot the times I hear them a lot and but I don't go run back into my house now and now it makes sense when I used to go interview the lady who's lived in an area for the past 60 years and raised her kids and grandkids and all and says that unfortunately this is just something we live with now but I'm not moving so I've gotten used to it which is not a good thing to say but 
I don't know if I want my kids to hear that. So I can't answer the question. I can't for right this second if I have to answer it. My answer is no. But I don't know what the future holds. After the last year, what I have learned is that stop planning for the future. My faith is strong. I firmly believe God has a plan. And last year when everything happened, I kept questioning why. Why did you do this to me, God? I buried myself in a hole. And I was really down. I went through severe depression. And I'll go ahead and say it. I'm on depression medicine. But I went to a very dark place because I love what I do. I love it. Um, in fact, Terrence and I have known each other because that's how long I've been doing this and this is deep within my heart. And to have been so faithful to the job to the point that I put any, anybody and everybody second to my job and then for something like that to happen it hurt, and I'll go ahead and say it, that I know people watching might be like, well, what happened? Why aren't you talking about it? I'm not ready yet. It's PTSD that as soon as I bring it back up, that pain just comes right back, and I'm not ready to face that yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm not ready to talk about it just yet, but one day I will. And so I learned in the last year, stop trying to plan things out. Stop trying to say, hey, by the time I hit this age, I have to be here. That's not how life works. Life happens. And a year ago, I didn't understand what God was trying to tell me. Now, oh my God, did he tell me or did he tell me? I firmly believe God is lighting my path. He is guiding me. And again, 10, 11 years ago, I didn't think I was staying in Baton Rouge. My plan was, I'm, I'm going back home. I'm, that, this is home now. This is my home. So I'm no longer planning for the future. Wherever life takes me, I'll go. Wherever God's guiding my path, I'm going to go. Thank you so much for the time that you've given to us. You're so uh, welcome. I appreciate it so very much. Unfiltered with Karen Chawa is available on YouTube. You yes, can be sir. a subscriber. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time. <laughs>